everybody. I'm, I'm getting there. I am. Thank you. Thank you. Thought I'd, uh, oh, by the way, everybody, uh, Alabaster House is with us today. Thank y'all for coming. And um, if, you, if you're here for badges and you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Eddie Cox, and I do have a golf club on my, uh, today. It might be a little crazy for you, but we're going to have a little fun with it. We've been talking about uh, basically how to get to heaven. <laughs> we were exploring the thought that maybe we could do some like good stuff to get there, you know, like follow the rules, that kind of thing. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my golf game and following the rules. So I play with people who do not follow rules. And uh, so I make up rules as we go to, that it helps me, of course. Mine is the pastor rules. You see what I'm saying? So, we've been, so I get out there and I decide if, uh, if I hit a tree, uh, it's a pastor tree, which I get to move, it doesn't count. You see how that works? So these are the kind of things we do. I found out about golf, it's about, believe it or not, I think it's between 24, see nobody can get this right, and 36 rules. But there's 200 pages to explain those to that, those 36, okay? So it's kind of neat to watch that happen. By the way, I make golf clubs, and what I mean by that is that people send me these things and I put them together. The problem with what I, when I started making golf clubs, is it's just we're not playing by rules. Uh, I make some of them illegal. Like, they can't hit a, look, I've seen golfers, they can't hit a regular club, much less an illegal club. There's nothing different on that. So what happened in the beginning, though, this is my new favorite right now. Uh, they would swing. Here, I, I couldn't guarantee the club wouldn't break because I don't know what I'm doing. In the beginning, I used the wrong glue. So about halfway through the round, the head would fly off down the fairway. And they'd all come back, and the whole golf cart's covered in, like, heads, golf heads. So it was kind of neat. But I got to thinking, did... Uh, did they make up the golf rules before they played the game, or did we make up the rules after we played the game? Because I think that's really something we need to know as we get into this. And so I think the, the problem we've had all along is trying to figure out how good we have to be to get to heaven, but even better than that or worse than that, whichever way you want to go with it, I think we're trying to figure out how good we got to be to actually come to God. Because we have this thought out there that somehow we have to be good are good enough, or there is, and I don't know what that looks like, and is there a list somewhere that says this is what you need to do to be good enough to come to God? So that's kind of what we've been, been working on. So I thought I'd throw some stuff at you. Uh, this is going to be fun for me today. I hope it's fun for you. But like, who goes to heaven? That is something we've been working on. And now here's a thought for you. Now, many of you, if you have kids, now my wife and I didn't sit around thinking like this. Let's create some rules for our children before we have them. And then we can have them and make them do the rules. And so that's kind of like this. We did not have children, so there would be someone who would keep the rules. Uh, if you, now, I love first-time parents. <laughs> I love the, in the beginning, I love the Disney thought, like everything's going to be beautiful. Everything's going to be wonderful. The kid's going to sleep when it's supposed to, and it's just going to be lovely. And about two or three months into it, the mom looks like somebody run over her or something. And it's like, I don't know what we're doing. And then you read books, and then it seems like every kid's got something different. So and then you'd have rules. I don't know what, you know, in the beginning you have was like, okay, only social media. You can only have it for so many hours, and it's going to only be educational. And you know that did not work out. 
because that is your best babysitter there is. And I know you don't like that, but that's what happens to most of that. So I can make rules for my family, like my daughter, and I can make rules. Did she follow all the rules? Well, of course not. Does yours? And I'm supposed to be the pastor. We walk around quoting scripture all the time at our house. Y'all don't do that? And so, I can't make rules up for somebody who's not in the family. That's what you got to hear as I walk in. So, I'm making up rules for my family when they go to bed. Now, what messes up the rules is when my daughter will come home and say, well, their parents let them do that. Does that not just mess everything up? Well, they don't stay here. So, you're going to follow my rules. You had this conversation? Yeah, this is my house and all that mess. You got all that going on? My car, my money? Well... She's 18 and in college, and she gives me a phone call. And parents, listen very carefully. So she gives me a phone call, and what do you think she wants? Money. Wow, I'm not the only one out there. So we have a rule about that. You can't spend it if we don't have it. That's the rule. Got that? So we're talking about who goes to heaven, and we created all these rules, and that's something we've been trying to figure out. Do good people go to heaven, or do bad people go to heaven? I think that's... uh, We wouldn't think bad people would go to heaven. I think we'd only be good people. And I think most of us, uh, I think most of us think we're good because the American society, America thinks, 75% of them think that there's an afterlife and there's a heaven. And most of you think that you're going to go to heaven. And by being here today, you get extra points for that to get to heaven. So when you get there and you say, hey, I went, you know. But it is kind of strange that good, you know, God... Good people go to heaven, I'm a good person, but you know who's not good, right? You know, <laughs> you know those people over there. You don't, you don't want to say this. You don't want to say this, but there's this, this hidden thing in your head that actually judges other people and says, I know I'm better than that. I know I'm better than them. And in your mind, you're an amazing person, so you must be going to heaven. So good people go to heaven, and so you're a good person. What's the advantages of being good? This is, this is fun. It's just, it's just. You should be able to go to heaven because you've been good. How, many, how long have you been good? When do we start counting that? Is that after 18? You should. Or maybe when you get to 50, you figured out some things, that kind of stuff. So it's just, uh, you make the cut. Most of you, let me look. Most of you look like you should go to heaven. Most of you look good. See, that's kind of how we think, is that, okay, we're going to make the cut. Uh, I'm pretty good. It supports the notion of a good God. So we have this good thing that happens to us. We have good, and you don't teach your children to be bad, do you? Because I don't have to teach my child to be bad. It's, it's a, they already know. Five-year-olds know how to lie, and they are really good at it. So we don't have to teach them. So it's always be good, always be good, do the right thing. Because we're not born with the right thing, actually. We're actually born with the other thing. And then we have to figure out if good people, good people go to heaven, maybe bad people go to heaven, and who decides that? You see, so is there, is there a list out there that helps this? Is there a list that says, do these things and you get to go to heaven? And I would like to know if there is a list. Now, we're going to go to the Bible in a minute. Because you think the list is in the Bible. Well, there is a list. There is some things in there. But good is a moving target. So what you think is good at your house may not be good at my house. How that works? What was good in the 50s, not so good now. So when you look back, you know, at centuries of people who were, you know, 
we're good or we're not good, I don't know exactly who measured up. And I don't know if we're going to get to heaven and we're going to get there and we're going to miss it by one good deed, like we should have just done one more thing, you know? And then I don't know how many, and here's a good, I don't know how many cuss words are allowed per week for you. And then you get there, you get right on the edge of heaven, you walk right up there and they, and they say, oh, you're one over, you're one over. So that's kind of what we were trying to figure out about this good. So can it, is it possible that I can good my way there? Because we have this thought. There's people who are not coming to church, are not even hanging out with you because they're not good enough. That's what they think. They're not good enough to be with God. They're not good enough to come to God. And they're thinking, I'm going to clean myself up before I come to God. So there is this good thought happening out there, and we've got to be careful. So we go to the Bible. Let's do this. So we go to the Bible, and Jesus shows up. We'll just do New Testament first, then we'll go to Old Testament. Jesus shows up, and he tells us all these things. The New Testament tells us about heaven, but I don't think you know that the Old Testament doesn't say anything about heaven. So there's no theological way to get to heaven in the Old Testament. But they had Ten Commandments, and they had a list. We get to the New Testament, we don't really have a list. We have, this is what Jesus said, that you should do good, and you should be good. But he never said if you do good and do enough good, that would get to heaven. He never said that was the way to heaven. He said that he was the way to heaven. So he shows up and he does this. Well, you don't make the cut. You're actually not good enough to get there. So he shows up. And the apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, he started talking about it. He said, there's nobody righteous, not one. He said, we really aren't good enough to even make the cut. Now, this was the game changer in the first century with the Christians and the Pharisees because they had created, listen to this, they had created at least five to 600 rules in order to be good. Can you imagine? Listen, you can't follow 10. Some of you can't follow three. Some of you say, I live by the 10 commandments, but you can't even name them. So, this is the amazing thing that he shows up and he says, wait a minute, you guys that think you're good are not so good. And you can't get to heaven by being good. Well, can you get to heaven by being bad? Somebody asked me that this morning. So I just want to be bad. Well, that's not really what we're saying. You got to be careful here. So you don't make the cut. And then he comes along and he says, if you want to get to heaven, let me tell you a couple of things. This really messed them all up here. He said, let me tell you a couple of things. He said, you can't be right with God and mistreat the people that God loves. Because I've seen this happen so many times when it comes to Christians, that we have this thing that I am, I am right with God, but I, I'm not right with everybody else. And it's really strange how we do that. This is what causes problems out there, you know. This is what causes problems. You're supposed to be like God, and God loves people, but you don't love this, and you don't like that. We're, we're better at telling them what they shouldn't do rather than what they should do, so they run from us because they're not as good as you, remember? They're not as good. So he said, he talked about, you can't mistreat people God loves and be right with God. That doesn't work. So the shift happened. This, this was moving. Jesus shows up, and everything starts moving, starts moving the other way. He says, no, 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 no. You're not that good. He yelled at the Pharisees, the religious crowd. Nope, you're not good. You can't work your way into heaven. Now, they only had the Ten Commandments at this point. 
They didn't know anything other than to do what they needed to do. And none of them could keep the Ten Commandments, so they created more laws. It's like me creating the pastor, you know, rule on golf. If I can't play the real game, I'll make my own rule up. That's what happened to them. They made their own rules. And they said, well, we'll do that. And here's how I'll judge you. If you can't keep my rule, then you're not as good as I am. And then Jesus shows up. He said, when you mistreat someone God loves, you sin against God. This is not what they wanted to hear. You know what they do with this kind of person? They crucify him. That's what they did. They crucified him. He said, you got to be kidding. No. He, you know what he said? You're all guilty. You're all the same. You've been mistreated, and you've mistreated others. You're all guilty. You need a Savior is what you need. You don't need more rules. You don't need something else to follow. You actually need a Savior. That's what he was talking about. Good people don't go to heaven. We figured this out in the last two weeks, that good people don't go to heaven. Because I asked you in the foyer, many of you got to talk with you, and I said, what is your percentage of good? And some of you said, I think I'm 50%. And I went, wow, that's pretty high. I think most of you will be probably at 70% today since you came to church. But you're going to lose that by Monday. You're going to go back to 20%. So this is the, you said, that is the craziest. Of course it's crazy. That's what happens if you try to just get to heaven on being good. He said, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. I'm so glad because I don't have to be good all the time. It's exhausting to be good. Ask your children. They can't do it right. Eventually, they do okay. We all do okay a little bit. We all do a little bit. But then there's that time when, well, I'm lose, I lose it. And then if you get to the edge of heaven, oh, you remember when you lost it? You were so close. You were so close. You could have got in. You could have got in. Well, then why are the rules in? This is so important that you get this. So why all the rules? If rules don't, don't get us to heaven and keeping the rules and we don't have a rule list, because I would like a list. If my eternity depended upon it, I would want a list. I need to talk to God. I need somebody. Is there a secret list? Do y'all have a secret list? Because I would like to know what that is so that I could get to heaven. But there are no rules to keep. This is so strange. Do you have to be good? Well, he said to do good and to be good. Jesus told us that. Because the thing that you need to know when we get to this, the only good that happens on earth is because somebody does it. It's not a natural thing that happens on earth that good things happen. Good things happen to good people because some good person did something good. So you can't say, I just want to be bad. It doesn't matter. Kind of matters, but why all the rules? This is what was happening. But if you're going to find out what the rules are, then we need to go back to the Old Testament. This will help you. Now, this is where, this is the part where you like, you lock in. You just kind of like, you know, lock in here. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20. It's called the Ten Commandments. Have you ever wondered why in the world? Because nobody can keep them, right? Nobody can have them. So let's ask this question. Let's talk about it. Why all the rules? And so here we go. It actually depends. It is for you this is happening. So we have this guy named Abraham. Abraham was the father of a nation. And Jesus said, I mean, God said his name was going to be great. And you've probably heard of Abraham, correct? So God did what he said he was going to do. So he was the father of a nation. Joseph, one of his sons, decides to go to Egypt. He goes to Egypt, and the Jews get over there, and they are multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And then the Pharaoh there in Egypt says, there's just too many Jews. We've got to do something. So they decide to put them in slavery. 
So now the Jews are in slavery. Now, this is pre-everything, pre-law, pre-everything. This is just God's about to do something that they did not even know was going to happen, but he decided to do something. So here we are in slavery. We got, the, we got the Jews in slavery, and he wants them out. And then we have this guy named Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? If you ever watched the Ten Commandments on TV, you know what I'm talking about. So we had Pharaoh in there, and then we had this other guy with the white hair named Moses. Remember that? So Moses on the mountain. And I remember this. He talks like, Moses. You remember that? So that's kind of how it went. And I was like, I was a kid. I was like, oh, this is great stuff. You know, this is great stuff. So God gets Moses going. He says, uh, I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Y'all remember that? Pharaoh, let, that's the, only place, that's the only thing you know in the Bible, probably, in the Old Testament. Let my people go. So he's let my people go. And Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do that. So these plagues start happening. And he keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Finally, he decides, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, but finally he decides it's time to let him go. So there's a million to two million, watch this, a million to two million slaves that have just let, been let go, and Moses is in charge of this. These people have no idea where they're going, what they're doing, and they have no way of knowing how to live because most of them and all of them for 400 years have been in slavery. They've been told what to do. For the first time in their life, they get to make a decision. Can you imagine that? They're free to make decisions. Do you know what happens to people who are free to make decisions, who have never made decisions? It's chaos. Do you know what most of them did? They said, I just want to go back. I just want to go back. God said, you're my people. Why are you my people? Why did I choose you? Why did I get you out of Egypt? I'll tell you why, and then we'll go back to some rules. I'll tell you what happened. God had to find a way, watch this, to get this guy, his son, Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger to Bethlehem and to have, to have somebody to do that. So he chose those people and my son will come through you and you will end up in Bethlehem and one day you will die on the cross, rise on the third day so that people in Powdersville can hear this story. That's what just happened. So this whole thing is about us. But they don't know it's about anybody right now. They're just mad. There's a bunch of mad people. Can you imagine? A bunch of mad people out there talking to Moses. And he's like, you know, what are we going to do now? What are we, how are we going to eat? Now, this is interesting. So the Ten Commandments don't show up until the 20th chapter of Exodus. So what happened in the first 19? And do you know, let me make you, let you understand that Exodus, the book, is the Exodus of the people coming out of Egypt. That's where this came from. And so here we are. First 19 chapters, people are complaining and fussing. God's done these incredible things. Now, here's, a, here's something you need to know. They have never seen him, and that's big deal because they have seen the other gods in, in Egypt. They can look at something, this one they haven't seen. All they know is what he can do. And that's why you stayed and did the plague so many times. Why? I need you to know what I do. I need you to know. And so he did that. So now in the first 19 chapters, God starts establishing a relationship with these people. This is pre-law, before everything happened. So, so they're like, I'm hungry. So one day they wake up, and Bojangles' biscuits are laying on the front lawn. <laughs> you know what happened? You know what happened? I don't want bacon, egg, and cheese. I want steak. You know what God did? He sent steak biscuits. And they fell on the lawn. Can you imagine not even having to get up and your food's right there? It came from, it's called manna from heaven. They just kept dropping in. God kept sending water, kept doing, taking everything he can. Before, watch this, before 
He laid and gave them the law. You see, if you're gonna, if you're gonna tell somebody, here, here's what we gotta be careful of. Relationship always precedes the rules. So this is what happens out there. You wanna tell people how to live right, but you don't even have a relationship with them. This is what they're mad about out there. This is why they don't like Christians. You wanna tell me your family rules and I'm not in your family. You don't even know who I am and you're trying to tell me how to live, what I shouldn't do, what I should do. This is what happens. So God did not bring rules to them until they had a relationship. They know the God now that he's, I know what you can do, I can see it. So he brings some stuff and he didn't come out like this. He didn't say, thou shalt not. That's not what he said. He said, I'm the Lord your God. Let me make it very clear to you who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They know that one. They know this one. They have seen all that he can do. Can you imagine the stories they can tell? The Red Sea opening up, all the food from heaven. I mean, it it was uh, uh, rocks shooting water. Can you imagine this stuff? This stuff happening. And you know what? They're complaining the whole time. Of course, we wouldn't. (laughs) We'd be so happy. But here's what happened. He said, I'm your God. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. You know who I'm talking about. And they knew who he was talking about. And then he brings in some other stuff. He said, I need you to do this. This is brilliant. I'm going to tell you this. It took 1,500 years for the rest of the culture around to catch on to what was happening right here. This is how brilliant this was. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the reason he's saying that is because that's all they're used to. They're used to seeing things. You shall not make for yourself any image form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. They were used to this. If they bought a piece of land, they believed that a God owned that land and they created a God in their house, put it in the corner, and they would worship that God because of that land. That's how it worked. Have you ever seen uh, the ancient discoveries of Egypt? I have loved that one. Uh, If you ever see that, you'll see gods everywhere. So he walks in and says, I'm not them. I'm not them. You can't see me. And I, listen, and you can't make an idol big enough for me because I'm everywhere. So he's breaking in these things. And you say, why are we having the rules? We have these wild people that God's going to bring the baby Jesus to Bethlehem through, and they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea about the law. They have no idea. They have had nothing. So he's bringing it into them. Relationship always precedes the rules. You cannot tell somebody about Jesus Christ if you do not have a relationship. You can scream at them, you can throw a track at them, and hit them in the head with the Bible. But this is what they're looking for. I need some real deal out there. I'm not looking for people who are better, are, are gooder, don't forgive me for that word, than me. But this is what they're looking for. The Israelites did not behave their way in. They were chosen by God because he loved them. Not because they behaved right, not because they did right. Listen, they didn't even know how to behave. They didn't even know what the rules were. They didn't know what the law was. This is pre-law. You know, he chose you pre-law. He chose you pre-Jesus. He chose you. He said, I'm going to choose you. If you don't choose me, I'm going to love you first. Even if you don't love me, I'm going to die for you, even though you may not live for me. I choose you. That is a love that we don't understand. We're used to the kind of love that if you do something, I do something. This is not the way God operates. The Israelites 
could not behave their way into this. They could not. And the Israelites were not able to misbehave their way out. So they can't be good enough to get in and they can't be bad enough to get out. This is the kind of God I love. (laughs) Because I know that I'm not always going to be what I need to be. 100%. I'm not going to always be good. I'm exhausted sometimes trying to be good. I just disappear on Monday so I can be bad by myself. I'm just telling you, if that's the thinking, see here, see I'm messing with your thinking. It's not about good, not about bad. It's not keeping this, not keep. It's about knowing it's, it's the relationship that you need to have with Jesus Christ. That's what's gonna change the world. And it's not your behavior or you're in or you're out and God's mad at me today. God is never mad at you. I hear this so much. Well, God's not gonna lie me if I do. God loves you. You can do nothing about it. It was pre-law, pre-Jesus, just nothing you can do about it. God's going to love you, good, bad, or ugly. That's how we should do this. Can you imagine if the church got this right and we started loving people, good, bad, or ugly, how that would change the world? What would they think of us? We want to put our family rules on them before they know Jesus Christ. That you should live like this. You should act like that. That's not the way people behave. It is, too, it is the way people behave the way they want to behave. Sometimes it's none of our business. What are we, our, our goal is to have a relationship. And then Jesus comes into this. I'm going to come down here and talk about this a minute, and then I'll go back. So we had this thing. Let's go back to Egypt. You want to go back to Egypt? I'm almost done, so don't lose me. Stay with me, okay? All right, so we have to go back to Egypt. So Jesus walks in on this, in the scene in the New Testament. Do this in remembrance of me, so let's go back. Remember what are we trying to remember? So in Egypt, they had this thing called the plagues. Remember, I just went over that. They had all these plagues. And then the last plague was the one of the firstborn was going to die in Egypt. The firstborn of everything, animals and people, the firstborn was going to die. So this is what they had to do. Do you trust me? It's kind of what God was saying to them. Do you trust me? So they take a lamb. They put the lamb's blood over the door. Like this, they cover the door, and as the death angel would pass over, listen to that word, as the death angel would pass over, they would go over their house because they trusted God, who they did not know at all, who knew no rules and was pre-law, knew none of that. And then we end up, okay, now we're back. So Jesus shows up, watch this. So Jesus shows up, New Testament, New Testament, here we are in the upper room. This, listen, he's about to do what he came to do, and that was to die for you. So this good, bad, and ugly thing doesn't matter. This relationship is what, matter, what matters. His blood is what matters. It covers your sin. And by the way, if he hadn't rose from the dead, none of us would be here. So his resurrections matter. So here we are. He's in the upper room. They're having Passover because that's what they did. And he says, I don't want you to remember that anymore. He said, I want you to remember what I'm about to do. Let me give you an equivalent to what he just said. You come to Christmas program, and I walk up in front, and I say, I don't want y'all to remember Jesus anymore. I want you to remember me. And you all leave. This is what was happening. He's telling them that I am that lamb. I am that guy. And this is what I need you to do from this moment on. You're going to remember me and what I do here. Now, they didn't know this yet. They didn't know any of that. They didn't know what was happening because they haven't seen it all yet. And then he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant, which is that, watch this, 
Everybody gets to be in now. You get to be in. You little Gentile out there, you get to be in. He said, you covet in my blood, which is poured out for you. You get to be in. This is pre-law, pre-Jesus. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I love you. What do I got to do to get to heaven? Except Jesus Christ is your Savior. Sin's paid. You're part of the family. You're part of the family. We can't yell at people who are not a part of the family yet. And we can't yell at people who are a part of the family. We just need to be part of the family. I'm so glad I discovered that I did not have to be good, bad, or ugly because I'm all of those things. You know, I'm all of those things. At some point in my life, I have mistreated people. I have been mistreated. I've been angry. I've been mad. I've, I've said things I shouldn't say. Not like you. You've been good. But this is what he's saying. He said, this is part, this is what we're due. He said, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Just like the blood over the door, you need to trust me now. That I'm telling you who I am and what I'm going to do. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were yet still sinners, pre-law, pre-Jesus, Christ died for us. Before you knew anything about that, he loved you. Before you did anything right, he loved you. He died for you knowing that you might not even care. There's so many people who don't even care. And yet he did. He cared. This is the kind of love that we will never understand. The pre-law, the pre-Jesus, love me when I don't. We can't get in our head that we, if we're not good, God doesn't love us. If we're bad, God hates us. We just can't. It's hard for us to fathom that this is pure love, agape love sent from God. You are loved no matter what you do. That is so hard. This is so, this is so good what he did. For if, watch this. For if, while we were God's enemies, this is Paul writing, Apostle Paul. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul figured it out. He said, none of us are really good at all. He said, we're just not good. He said, but Jesus makes us good. Makes us family. That's what makes us family. We don't good our way in. This is the result of all three weeks. We don't good our way in, and we don't bat our way out. And that's terrible English. But you get it. We don't good our way in. It's all about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I, I'm so glad because I feel like, you know, I, I told you about my, um, my, my aunt, my church of God aunt, who he was, it was always behavior for her. If you said this or you said that, you didn't do that. She was in, she was out. She, it, was, it was almost exhausting to be around her because every day she would be in heaven and the next day she'd be out of heaven based upon what she would say or didn't do. And I was exhausted with that. I'm like, this can't be the right way, depending on me. And I figured out it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus, depending on him. And he didn't say this, you must behave again. <laughs> you must behave again. No, he said, you must be born again. This is what he told us. You must be, can you imagine? You're not behaving right, you're out. None of us are in. So you need to know that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is my favorite verse, by the way. Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Pre-law, pre-Jesus, you picked. He loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't behave your way in. You can't behave your way out. You can tell him how much you hate him. It doesn't matter to him because he loves you. There's nothing you can do. 
There really is nothing you can do that would ever turn God away from loving you. And the worst people of the worst that we know in this world and have been in this world, he still loved. And we don't get that. And that's just the way it is. You can't behave in, you can't behave out. You're just loved. And that's the way it is. And he chose you. Y'all stand with me. So he didn't send his son to condemn us. I've been beat over the head so many times with the Bible, you would not believe. I know how it feels to be condemned and to be judged. Maybe you feel that too. And I hope we haven't done it. So I it's still like we need to apologize. You know, I'm sorry if we judged you and we should not have. Because none of us are good. Only God. So I thought this might be a good opportunity maybe today that some of you might want to accept Jesus Christ into your life. And here's what I, we did this the first service. I won't see if y'all can help me this, this service. I'm going to pray slowly, and I would like for everybody just to pray it out loud together. And I want you to hear it. And some of you are going to say it for the first time, and I really want to know Jesus Christ. I really want to know what that feels like to be loved. So this is your opportunity right here. So let's bow our heads, if you would. And I'd like for everybody to repeat after me. Jesus, I come to you. I know I have sinned. I know you love me. I ask you to forgive me and change my life. I pick you. Thank you for hearing my prayer and changing my life forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.